Now Colossians is a really short letter, so you might not know where it is. And you can find it on page 1182, I think, in your Bibles. So I'll give you a little minute to find it, because there's a lot going on in these 14 verses that Dave's going to preach on. Yep. So we're really looking forward to that. So I'm reading in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Okay, who's found it over here? Great, that's good. General Electric Power Company is how I remember it. Okay, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well read. Well, good evening, Night Church. It's good to be here. If I haven't met you, my name's Dave. I'm one of the ministers particularly involved in Night Church. It's a privilege to be here tonight. It's exciting. I'm excited. Um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that God would reveal himself to us in his word and also that my voice would get through this. I've felt a bit sick and I'm feeling a bit raspy. But I'm excited to be here. I'm also excited that uh, my wonderful wife is here. She's often at home um, hanging out with the three crazies, as we call them, uh, because it's our anniversary. We're 13 years married. So isn't that cool? So yeah, it's worth celebrating. So what better way to celebrate than come and hear your husband preach? Aren't you lucky? (laughs) That's awesome. Why don't I pray, hey? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the chance tonight just to stop and as before sing to you to give you great praise because you are worthy of great praise to see what you're worth and give you what you're worth and Lord we ask tonight that you'd speak to us through your word help my voice to get through it and help me a broken and sinful man to speak about your goodness speak through me May you get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray together as your children. Amen. Amen. All right. Here's a picture 
of a little girl called Phyllis Adams. She's the one on your left. In 1922, at quite a young age, she developed some pretty troubling symptoms. Now her father, Harry, got her checked out at the local doctor and unfortunately their worst fears were confirmed. Little Phyllis had developed type 1 diabetes. Now today, that's not so much of a, of a really horrible diagnosis. I should know, I'm a diabetic myself, but it's still serious. But back then, in 1922, it was a death sentence. Little Phyllis was going to die in a matter of months. Well, Harry, like any good dad, didn't just kind of want to sit there and watch his daughter waste away. So he starts researching this disease and he comes across these two Canadian doctors. They're doctors Banting and Best. And he, his research uncovered that these guys were working on one of the greatest discoveries of modern medicine, the isolation of insulin. That's what diabetics are lacking and without it they die. So they were working on trying to isolate that, but they weren't there yet. Now Harry, Phyllis's mum, uh, sorry, uh, Phyllis's father, wrote to these doctors requesting some of this precious liquid, but their response back to him was bittersweet. Here it is. Keep your little girl alive. We hope to have something very soon, which, though not a cure, will help diabetics to lead a normal life. So their response, sit tight, we're working on it. For months, they waited for a response. Can you imagine? For months, they waited, trying, keeping their little girl alive on, I think I read it was like a teaspoon of butter and half a cup of whey, which is the gross stuff that separates when you milk separate. That's what they kept her alive on for months, and they waited and waited. Now, I wonder if her father, Harry, doubted in that time. Right? I wonder if he doubted that the insulin would arrive in time, or, or if at all. I wonder if he doubted the work of the doctors. What are they doing over there? I wonder if he ever thought that. He must have. Why are they taking so long? Are they going to be able to do it? Can they deliver on their promise? Is their work going to produce any fruit? Six months they waited. Finally, they received a response incredibly reassuring, saying, we've worked it out and we're going to ship some to Australia. So Harry goes down to the wharf and waits for the ship to come in, runs back, gets a liquid, injects some into his precious little daughter, takes a few months, but she regains good health and she lives into her 70s. Amazing story. I actually met her son a few years ago who told me this incredible story. It's amazing, isn't it? First person to receive insulin in Australia. Now tonight, we're going to be encouraged that God is at work. He is. God is at work in us and around the world. But just like Harry, little Phyllis's dad, we might be tempted to doubt that fact. To wonder, just what are you up to, God? Have you ever felt that? You've asked that? No, I have. To wonder just what is, what is he up to? Because sometimes it might feel like in our lives and around the world, God's work is well hidden. Well, the message of tonight's talk is that we can be confident that God is accomplishing his plans in us and around the world. Now, like Nathan said, we're beginning a new series in this New Testament letter called it's Colossians, and the series is called Above All, and it's great. This letter wasn't written to us, but it is written for us. Now, it's a wonderful letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul and Timothy to this little town in Colossae, we don't know a lot, about, a lot about it, though, because it, this, 
this city was very small. It most probably got you know, obliterated in an earthquake in the early 60s. So we don't know much about it. It's in modern day Turkey, but here's what we do know. Paul, he actually didn't start this church. A guy called Epaphras, who we're gonna meet soon, he was in prison with Paul at the time of him writing a letter. He started the church. He most probably heard the gospel from Paul in Ephesus. Him and another guy called Philemon went to Colossae and they started the church. And why did Paul write it? He wrote it to just reassure these Christians in their early faith that it's all about Jesus. That what they heard was a true gospel and you've got to stand firm in that gospel. So I reckon be excited for this series. Expect to have your faith strengthened. It's like a big warm hug, an encouraging hug, this letter. It's really great. Expect to have your faith strengthened and to be assured. So God that's the series there. So God is at work. If you leave tonight remembering nothing else, I just want you to remember and be encouraged that God is at work despite your doubts, despite how you feel, despite what other people might say. He is at work. And we're going to explore this idea of God being at work by looking at three questions. Okay? How has God been at work in the Colossians and you? So how has God been at work? How is God at work around the world? And how will God continue his work in you? Because that's the promise. Right? So how has God been at work in you? How is he at work around the world? And how will he continue his work in you? Let's dive in and get cracking. Eh? Let's look at this awesome passage together. I'm going to have some of the text up there. Hopefully you can see it's a bit... Oh, well, if, if you can't see it very well, open up your Bibles. We're looking at Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. I'll read it for us. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, we could say a lot about that, but simply, like we said, Paul wrote this letter with Timothy to the young Christians in Colossae. Let's keep moving. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Why? Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. All right, let's try and answer that first question, right? How has God been at work in the Colossians? How has God been at work in you? Let's have a look. Well, these verses say that the gospel has transformed their lives by producing faith. Paul's giving thanks to God for them in prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. And he's rejoicing because of their genuine faith. Now, faith in what? In their ability to save themselves, you know, in faith in sort of religious ritual. No, it's solid faith in Christ. So we can know it's genuine faith because it's faith in Christ. Now, how else does Paul assess their faith? Have a look in verse 4. By what it does. You see that? And the love you have for all God's people. So true faith is evidenced in action. Faith without deeds is dead, right? God's been at work. The gospel has been bearing fruit in the lives of these people by the faith they have in Christ. And the result of that faith is love for others. Now, let me ask, do you doubt that God's been at work in your life? Have you ever felt that? Because it's the same for us, right? You can know that God has been at work in you, that the gospel seed's been planted in your life if you have faith. But not just, oh, yeah, i got faith, faith in something general. no. It's solid faith in Jesus, and that faith is evidenced by the love you have for God's people. All right? Now, maybe you are able to look back on when you came to faith, when you know, your conversion story, your testimony, or 
And you're able to look back and be very encouraged in that because it's a very spiritual experience. You can point to it and maybe that's really sure for you. Or maybe like me, you can't. You came to faith more gradually. But you know what? It doesn't matter, does it? Because it's all about who your faith is in and the evidence of that faith that really counts. It's not necessarily about a spiritual experience. As nice as they are and as encouraging as they can be, it's all about who our faith is in and the evidence of that faith that counts. Now, I want to say, I am, along with Nathan and Kelsey and others, I'm incredibly encouraged to be seeing this at night church. Right? Lives being changed and people putting their trust and faith in Jesus and this overflowing into a loving community. And if you're not yet a Christian and you're here with us, our hope and prayer is you would stick around and see the evidence of that faith in the love for each other spilling out. And I want to encourage you, you're very welcome. We're so glad you're here. And we want to encourage you to keep looking into Jesus and the hope that he brings. All right, let's keep working if we can see it. Verse 5, here we go. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Now notice that. Faith and love. Where do they come from? Hope. Right? The faith in Christ and love for others comes from hope. Hope fuels the fire of faith and love. So the hope we have in the life after this one, it actually feeds our perseverance in faith and love. Now, Paul likes to use this trio, doesn't he? Faith, hope, and love. He uses it in a few of his letters. But in this letter in Colossians, hope seems to me the most prominent. It's interesting. Why? Because it's, it's in Colossians, it's their hope that was most probably being attacked. We don't know exactly, but it's most likely that a, a group of local Jews were mocking these new Christians. And they were saying stuff like... <laughs> You've, got, you've put all your eggs in the basket of Jesus. Your hope is in Jesus. Get real. We're the people of God. Your hope in Jesus is a waste of time. And that would have had an effect on them. Can you imagine? It produced nagging doubts. Now, Paul wrote this letter to assure them that, no, your hope in Christ, it is very solidly and well-placed. I think, I don't know about you, but I think this is really helpful because if you're anything like me, there are times when your hope in Christ is attacked and that can have an effect. It can produce doubts, right? I'm sure I'm not alone there. You know, when friends might be mocking you for your faith, that, that has its effects, right? Or even just when maybe life doesn't turn out the way you thought it would. Or when hard times come, when tragedy strikes. These are times when our hope in Christ can be eaten away when nagging doubts start to rise and there's a danger there now i actually just quickly want to say that i think doubts can be really good i mean they can lead to asking us questions and they can lead to a deeper faith the question you know, asking questions is a huge part of my journey to faith but there is a danger if we let doubts become too big and we let them occupy the place where our hope in christ should be so this whole book of Colossians is written so that you and I can be sure of the hope we have in Jesus. All right, so God's been at work in you producing true faith that spills out into love for others. Well, that's all well and good, but have you ever wondered, 
What's God up to around the world? It takes us to our second point. How is God at work in the world? Let's keep looking at our great passage here. Verse 6. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Paul's saying what's happening in your individual lives, your little church, your little town in Colossae, it's not just isolated there. It's happening all around the world. So much so that even then, Paul could say, all over the world the gospel is bearing fruit. How encouraging would that have been for the Colossians to hear? And it's still encouraging for us to hear because it's still true today. God is at work around the world. But if again, if you're anything like me, sometimes we can be tempted to doubt that fact. Many people thought um, that the last century, the 20th century, was going to be the most secular one yet with um, the advancement of human achievement technology science people thought humanity's need for the transcendent would just wither and die but actually the opposite is true the world is getting more religious and not less and that's confused a lot of secular thinkers many of us know this but be encouraged the gospel is bearing fruit all around the world in places like china india africa south america Is it hitting resistance and persecution? Absolutely, of course it is. But it is advancing because God has a plan for his world. God is at work through the gospel and the gospel's effects testify to its truth. We were chatting about this in staff meeting this week and um, our wise pastoral minister, Max Boys, uh, said this. He said, when we are discouraged by what we might think is a lack of God moving in our community, what do we do? Just despair? No. We actually need to lift our eyes and see what God is doing around the world because he is indeed powerfully bringing people into his kingdom. That's the truth. We've got to lift our eyes. What is God doing around the world? Well, let's, let's talk about back home in Australia for a minute, right? What's God doing down under? Because we might think, yeah, yeah, God's doing great things over there, but what about here? Well, let's chat about the latest census data. There's been a lot of talk about that, hasn't there? I don't know, on social media, I've seen it a lot. And people have been saying, you know, it's the death of the church, decline of religion. Well, what did it really say? Well, what got a lot of people talking was there's been a rise in people indicating that they've got no religion. Did you see that? And obviously a corresponding decline in those who indicate an affiliation with Christianity. So what is this saying? What is this saying? Well, it's most likely saying that those who are now ticking the no religion box probably have been irreligious, not religious, for a long time now. And they're just feeling more comfortable now to tick that box. They're maybe nominal Christians shirking off the religion that was part of their youth. Now, there's so much more that we could say about this census, right? That we could discuss. We don't have time. But what we do want to kind of, what we have learned is something that we've really known for quite a while now, and that is that Christianity no longer holds the central place in our society. Right? The days of Christendom are over. And many of us know this, right? I don't have to tell you that whether uni or work, and it's not a given that other people. Just, you know, we think, oh, we'll assume people have a Christian worldview. It's just, it's obvious, isn't it? Many of us know that, right? 
Other religions are growing in our country. People are cutting their old ties to Christianity. And yes, less people are attending churches. Christianity, it's not got the central place in our culture anymore. We've got to get used to being on the margins of our community. But here's the thing. I don't think that's bad news. I believe this actually gives us an exciting opportunity. Because the Bible never calls us to build a kingdom here. Right? It never tells us to, to make sure that we are in control of different aspects of the community, right? Calls for influence, yes, but not control. Because Jesus calls us to be salt and light, an alternative community, a city on a hill, a place where the first is last and the last is first, right? It's an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom not of this world. Let's check out the next verse, right? Verse 7. You've learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Remember Epaphras, in prison with Paul at the moment, start of the church. What did he do? He was needed to bring the gospel to the Colossians. So what? God is at work around the world through his people. The gospel grows and bears fruit around the world and God uses people to spread it. I don't know if you saw this. This is um, research that has been conducted by the folks at McCrindle. They do a lot of research into many things in our culture, including church and spirituality. And these guys, this, this is fascinating. This research indicates that the things we often do in evangelism, which we can see there in the blue down the bottom, uh, apologetics, miraculous stories, and celebrity testimonies actually turn people off. Isn't that interesting? Because often we do a lot of these things, right? What attracted people most was believers living out genuine faith. And guess what? That's exactly what we're called to do. The survey also pointed out that, and I think this is encouraging, 52% of people were open to changing their view on religion and spirituality to some extent. Well, that's a lot of people. What an opportunity. So what does our country need? Actually needs more people who will live out the call to follow Jesus in a day-to-day faith, to live out genuine faith. So I think really the question is not, well, is God at work here? But it's more, will you take part in the work he's doing? So God is at work. The gospel is bearing fruit around the world and at home in Australia, despite what we might think surveys are saying or social commentators are saying. And we have an incredible opportunity to model faith in Christ in a genuine way. All right, let's move into our final question, which is our shortest. How will God continue his work in you? Let's keep moving. Let's keep reading from this wonderful passage from verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Beautiful, isn't it, to hear from a pastor? We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. So what's Paul's prayer for them? Now that the gospel's taken hold, you just go, sit back and sweet. No, he's actually feverishly praying that it would take deeper roots in their lives and grow all the more. He prays that their knowledge of our great God would explode, that they'd be filled, isn't that lovely illustration, filled 
with the knowledge of him. Isn't that amazing? Why? So they might live lives worthy of the Lord and please him. How do they do that? How do we do that? By applying the gospel to every single area of our lives, right? Letting the truth of the gospel just permeate and saturate everything we do. That's how God intends to be at work in our lives. We lived overseas in the States, um, in the south of America, um, the dirty south, for a number of years. And we did a lot of road tripping. And I remember looking out the window so often and seeing this vine that covered everything on the roadside. It looks like that. It's called kudzu. And in the 1800s, the Americans imported it because it was like cheap cattle feed. It grew really fast. And huge mistake. It's now is covering everything. And it's a real pest. And um, I remember just seeing this. And it just takes over all these native plants, right? It grows like crazy. And it actually takes over these native plants and it can kill them because it steals all the natural light, so everything under it dies. It's a bit like, let me check this out. It takes over everything that's not moving. It's quite amazing. The gospel, it's a bit like that. Once it's planted, its intention, like the vine, is to grow. God is not satisfied to have it isolated in one area of your life. That will not do. It's meant to take over our whole lives, the whole person, and as it does... It grows over the old life, putting it to death, producing new spiritual fruit. See, this is the new vision of Samats, right? Growing God's church through the gospel. And as the gospel grows in our lives and the lives of others, God's church will be enriched spiritually and numerically. But let's, you know, just before we finish up, let's spend a few minutes just getting practical. What does it really mean for the gospel to grow, to to the, for the roots of the gospel to grow in our lives and for it to just take over our lives. What does that mean in a, in a practical area like relationships? We're all involved in relationships, right? Married, friendships, boyfriend, girlfriend, parent, kid, you know, relationships, huge part of our lives. How does the gospel affect relationships? Well, the gospel frees us from using people to get what we want. I reckon that's pretty much a default position for so many relationships, right? What can I get out of this? Well, the gospel frees us from feeling that, from wanting that, from needing that, because in the gospel, we already have all we need in Christ. So we are actually then free to have healthy relationships where we don't burden people with a weight they can't bear, and it gives us a model to serve them as Christ served us. Now, what about work? something many of us, goodness, spend most waking hours doing. What about work? How does the gospel affect work? Well, the gospel frees us from being defined by what we do in our jobs or crippled by thinking, I've got I've to prove myself. I've got to chase success to show that I'm, I matter. Because we know who we are in Christ. The gospel gives us a clear picture. We know who we are in Christ. So no amount of success or failure in work can ever take that away. And it's the same with uni or school. Do we want to work hard? Do we want to achieve? Yeah, of course, absolutely. But it's the motivation for the why we work and work hard that is changed, right? We don't work hard to prove our worth or try and be accepted. That's never going to be enough because in the gospel we are already completely accepted and loved. 
despite our sin and brokenness. And what about money? The gospel gives us a new identity. We are a child of the living God, yes. And we actually serve a new master now. So we're free to not have money to serve money, but let money serve us and let it serve the kingdom. We can be generous because it doesn't own us. The gospel also gives us joy. And as we finish up, let's look at this. Last couple of verses of our passage. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, why should we give joyful thanks to the Father? Because of our great hope. Remember back in verse 5, we looked at it you know, a little while ago. What did our faith and love spring from? Hope. Now, Paul explains a little bit more about that hope. God has qualified us by Christ's death in our place to receive an inheritance. An inheritance of what? We all know what an inheritance is. When parents or people die, they can leave you things. That's what an inheritance is. Now, what is it? God's promised to give us what? Money, houses, jewelry, I don't know, mint condition, comic book collection. I don't know what it is. No, of course not. It's a place in the kingdom of the son he loves. And if not, you're not yet a Christian, just listen up for one second here. Because this, Paul just gives us a beautiful, great little summary of what it means to be a Christian, of what the gospel is. Jesus has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, where sin and death reign. That's, that's how the kingdom of darkness operates, sin and death. But Christ has rescued us from that place. He has dealt with sin once and for all by his sacrifice on the cross. And he has dealt with death by his death, triumphed over it, proving it by his resurrection. He's rescued us from that kingdom and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption. Our great hope is our place in this kingdom, which has begun now, but will be fully received in the next life. And all of this helps the gospel flourish in our lives. Our hope in Jesus and our place in the life to come fuels our faith in him and our love for others. So, in finishing, God has been at work in your lives. We, can, we don't have to doubt that. We can be encouraged that if you have faith in Jesus and it's evidence in your love for others, be encouraged that the gospel has already been at work in you. God is at work in the world regardless of what we might think or what we might see. God will continue his work in you, bringing about gospel growth in our lives. And this is fueled by our great hope, our place in God's kingdom. I'm going to pray and thank God for his great gospel and his work in our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your great gospel, the good news. Thank you for rescuing us from the kingdom of darkness. Thank you for giving us a place in the new kingdom where sin and death are dealt with once and for all. Lord, we ask that you would give us strength to have great patience and endurance. We ask that you would fuel gospel growth in our lives. And Jesus, we ask that this community here at Night Church would be a community that has genuine faith in you and 
the one that overflows in love for others, that we would be known as a church that loves. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.